0: Welcome to GOLA. I'm Katie Parla, a Rome-based food and beverage writer, culinary guide, and New York Times bestselling cookbook author.
1: And I'm Danielle Caligari, assistant professor of Italian at Dartmouth College and writer at large for Tuscany and the Italian South at Wine Enthusiast. Hey, Danielle. Hi, Katie. Wow. Listen to you bringing that high energy. So rare. Don't get used (laughs) to it. I won't. Don't worry. I will, however, continue to be excited about recording another episode of GOLA, our podcast dedicated to Italian food and beverage culture, because today we are talking about one of my absolute favorite things. I feel like we say that at the top of literally every episode, but I swear this one is really kind of closest to my heart, I think.
0: And it's always my favorite episode when I get to talk about something you know way more about than I do and I get to learn stuff from you because I love the subject of this pod but I'm kind of like out of the loop you know I've been writing like 40 books a year I don't have much of a social life Uh, I always run out of ice at home so I can't even uh, you know prepare one for myself alone under my (laughs) highlighters and post-it notes what are we talking about today well, we're
1: talking about cocktails in Italy and, and cocktail culture right now in particular is where we're hoping to arrive, but we'll we'll certainly try to do a little roundup of what the expectation was in the past and how that compares or contrasts with what is happening today, not just in the kitchen of Katie, kitchen bar of Katie Parla, but also beyond um, it's funny that you start with never having ice made because I feel like that is actually the most significant difference between America, the American and the Italian relationship with the drinks, which is to say American can never have enough ice and always have ice ready. And Italians look at ice like this bizarre and silly afterthought or have historically. And, and that's changing right now, which is point. Pointing us toward the question of how Italians feel about cocktails in this particular historical moment, but no ice is a is a common
0: feature of an Italian home kitchen and bar for sure. <laughs> I have two bars in my house, and I can't be bothered to freeze water. <laughs> You,
1: do have, you actually have a very fine selection of spirits, uh, including many rare and unusual things, as well as all the basics in order to twist a good drink. And to be sure, I have taken advantage often when you are not, uh, not even present, let alone joining me. So Ooh. I can't complain about anything in your house, lack of ice notwithstanding. The weird relationship with ice aside though, and your inability to go out and socialize because you work seven jobs simultaneously. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about the relationship with high proof spirits in Italy in a kind of general sense and then walk our way towards what's happening right now, how people are drinking, what they're drinking and why. You've been in Italy for how many
0: years now? Um, in January, it's going to be 20 years. And if you think Italians don't like ice, just wait till <laughs> you hear what they feel about gin, generally yeah, speaking.
1: Yeah, I, I know. Exactly. exactly. Oh, God, absolutely. Um, I I can't believe you've been Italy for tw- in, in Italy for 20 years because you're only 18, so it doesn't make sense. Math does not check out. But I'll take your word for it because I wouldn't dare call you a liar just as I would, I would sooner serve you a plate of, of Bucatini. How dare you? Um, (laughs) uh, But in your, in your 20 years, um, what were people drinking when you first got to Italy in terms of uh, actually, you know, in general, what, what were people drinking and, and when and how and how, and how does that compare with what you what is happening now, as far as you can see? This is anecdotal, obviously. This isn't historical research.
0: <laughs> uh, well, when I first moved here, I was the same age as most college students. Um, and so when I was going out with my friends, we would go to bars and they would order like a mojito. Um, spritzes were not on the radar in southern and central Italy yet. But if I would go up to Padova or Venice for a visit, people were drinking spritzes. Um, I should say that the mojitos that were being mixed were incredibly weak, very low ABV. Um, When I would head down south, a lot of people would drink wine or beer as an aperitif. And then everyone was drinking wine at dinner, maybe a digestif, but even that wasn't a given. Um, And things have really radically changed now in... Rome, in addition to all the watered down uh, international cocktails you can find in the student neighborhoods, you can find a huge range of craft cocktails. But there's been a massive paradigm shift all over the country in the way that people drink, the way that people uh, think about Italian liqueurs, the way that people um, ingest high proof spirits. It's been a a really radical shift. And I should also mention that uh, you know in in Rome and in the north. 20 years ago, if you ordered a classic cocktail, there was a good chance that you would not get what you thought you were going to get. If you ordered uh, a martini, you would be served like a glass of vermouth. Um, If you ordered... God forbid, like a Sazerac or a Manhattan. uh, No one would have the courage to ask, what is that? They would just freestyle whatever they felt it should contain. And you'd be given a really strange concoction, sometimes with like a grenadine floater. It was a bizarre decade. And then things start to happen and really shift in 2009, 2010. People can't afford to go out all the time for food. They can afford and want to go out for drinks. And so a greater uh, availability of drinks then starts to be offered, um, partly because a lot of people had to go abroad during the financial crisis and work. So they came into contact with craft cocktail culture elsewhere and brought that knowledge back with them. So we're now like about a dozen years into the craft cocktail scene in Italy.
1: So that was a truly masterful roundup and it resonates deeply with me because we are basically the same age and started our relationship with Italy around the same time. So the timeline you lay out and the description of how people interacted with cocktails in different regional areas and across that uh, two decades span is very familiar to me. I am thinking in particular of a moment where I was at, I was in Naples at Cambrinos, which is a, a beautiful historic Italian bar in the Italian sense of bar, meaning um, a place where you mostly go for coffee and a small snack, usually a pastry, could be something savory as well. And in the evening, they will have a selection of essential spirits, the kinds of things that most people keep in their speed well if you're at in a, an American bar, and uh, a much larger range of aperitifs and digestifs that are much lower alcohol and not in in an italian context traditionally mixed with anything else rather served neat or on the rocks themselves and i ordered walla cambrino some this evening a martini and i knew because i had been in italy long enough to explain it with care what i meant nonetheless it took three tries before someone finally gave me a glass of gin that had not of course been stirred over ice, but rather, um, Badly mistreated between the time the bartender cracked the bottle and it arrived at my table, and at that point, I of course simply downed whatever was in the glass and walked away with my tail between my legs, thinking that I was able to conquer something initially that um, I was proven not to have yet mastered.
0: This so, is how we. This <laughs> is how we learn. This is how we learn stuff in Italy. That's how. Right. <laughs> that's how Italy taught us to be in the world. You ask for something, you flawlessly explain what it should be, and then they give you what they want to give you instead, and it's usually hot gin.
1: (laughs) Which you would think would have created some sort of, I don't know, at least some sort of negative connotation for me, if nothing else. But of course, gin remains my spirit of choice if I have to rank them. So whatever the Italians did to me, uh, I guess it's sort of a Stockholm syndrome situation. I do keep coming back. I do love getting abused and I do keep drinking gin, especially Italian ones. And we're going to get there. Um, the walk that we're taking today takes us from this uh, weird initial relationship up to what's happening now, in part because we're uh, doing a- some episodes in this season that unite what we have talked about in the past for listeners who have been with us from the beginning and uh, updating that those elements with uh, some new uh, material for listeners of whatever point they have joined us in this journey towards learning more about Italian food and beverage, and uh, the change even over the last couple of years has been significant enough that I think um, people who have you know kept up to date with us and uh, people who are just joining us will be equally interested because that weird, wacky situation you're describing. And then I also experienced of a place that had A a great availability of spirits, but very little familiarity with them and um, no real interest in developing a a cocktail culture of its own has completely pivoted to not only embracing international standards, as you're mentioning, Katie, from a classic uh, martini cocktail of gin and uh, dry vermouth to the Uh, would be more uh, American or Anglo standards that are with uh, scotch or whiskey or rye or other brown liquor base. Um, Whiskey being the simpler way of saying that full category. Also now incorporating a series of both drinks and uh, in expected, expectedly available indigenous or local or autochthonous mm-hmm. ingredients, uh, which is really super exciting, actually, and and something that I see to having quite a bit of potential, both at the level of energizing a, a market, but uh, also at the level of uh, making Italian food and beverage culture of this moment something worth bringing our attention back to, not just in the kind of deep historical mode or the traditional mode, but also in the uh, innovation mode, which is not something that Italy is always associated with.
0: And yet a lot of the classic aperitif cocktails are the product of innovation and entrepreneurship. And granted, all of this is happening well over 100 years ago in the late 19th century when, or early 20th, when companies like uh, Campari and cochi and Select and Aperol are all starting, and and uh, the red the red bitters and the red Aperitivo liqueurs are all competing against one another. Uh, they're tied up to their town of origin's identity, and so it's interesting to see now you know a uh, uh, over a century after this, uh, Italian craft. Uh, craft cocktail culture is kind of following some of those patterns, but really expanding on it due to the the globalized uh, drinking culture that Italy today has. Um before we jump into what's happening now, should we just break down what like the classic aperitif cocktails are?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought us there. So to your point, and I'll I'll just lay the groundwork and then I'll give you the the reins to walk us through classic uh, classic cocktails, a la italiano. Um We have, if we do a really deep dive, the reintroduction or introduction, depending on how you kind of see this uh, historical thread or how you follow it, of distillation practices into an Italian context or what would become Italy. Uh, as a geographic space in the uh, high to late Middle Ages. So to your point, Katie, we have a very long history of people making, experimenting and consuming spirits on the peninsula. And then we have a weird back and forth that includes a variety of different kinds of drinks being introduced into the diet and enjoyed in different cultural contexts and different kind of social class contexts, according to availability and trends. But uh, when we get to the about 100 years ago, we have a moment where Italy is a really kind of uh, specific crossroads for cocktail culture and the arrival of uh, a few cocktails that are going to be forever associated with the peninsula, but bizarrely have become true darlings of craft cocktail culture, globally speaking. So what are they, Katie?
0: Well, in terms of the globally uh, celebrated, the Spritz and the Negroni, but even before that, we've got things like the Milano-Torino, uh, Campari and uh, Torin style vermouth, so Campari's from Milan, the, that particular styles from Turin. You combine those two to make the Milano Turino, equal parts of sweet vermouth and Campari. Um, if you add later in 1919 a splash of uh, gin to that, you get a Negroni. Meanwhile, if you want to do kind of like a spritzy vibe, uh, there's the thing called the Bicicletta, Campari white wine and soda. The Milano Torino, the Bicicletta, the Americano, these are all really low ABV drinks. The spritz too, clocks in at around 6% one uh, made with Aperol, really light. But not everyone's super stoked on a light, uh, potent potable. So some people want something more intense. That's where the Negroni comes in. Uh, a self-described count in Florence told his local barman to 86 the sparkling wine and his Americano put in gin. The Negroni is born. And Flourish is not because Italians want It's too heavy. There were booze travelers coming from the U.S. during Prohibition. There were you know, like very pro gin British tourists in Florence who are driving uh, the market for that. I wonder, do you think Florentines, what would Florentines have been thinking of the Negroni when it's uh, concocted in uh, the early 20th century? Well,
1: you know, I think that at the general you know this can be probably used as a generalization that it's it's so deeply class oriented and the florence of that time especially even more so than now because again you know you made mention earlier of the fact that drinking culture has sort of risen again as we might describe it because uh, somewhat ironically because of the financial um, re- depression, recession. However, we're going to uh, describe it in retrospect. Um, the moments where people have less disposable income, they're right now, in particular, more likely to be enjoying a drink rather than an entire evening out, where because it's a it's a lesser commitment. And um, when we look back at the moment that you're thinking of early 20, you know, late 19th into early 20th century, I think that the luxury of being able to be out having a cocktail was for the very limited few. And anyone who was a native Florentine or Italian, for that matter, who is out having a cocktail at one of the famous bars that rises up at this time, many of which are still uh very much standing and and frequented by locals uh, are uh, the kinds of people who were well traveled by virtue of having a lot of financial uh, flexibility and a pretty kind of wide, uh, spectrum of experience. So I, you know, I'm were there Italians hanging out and having drinks, including the Negroni at this time. Of course, most of them probably had titles or, um, you know, political roles. Were the kinds of people who were enjoying a very luxurious public life versus the average individual who is having a glass of wine. Uh, from bulk production or in industrial, uh, well, you know, a large-scale made beer.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, there was a little bit of a stigma around gin in certain cities because likely a lot of British people got shit-faced off of it. And the Negroni, while it might have had some traction when it first comes out amongst Italians, it quickly vanishes from people's daily consumption because you get real buzzed off of it. And the whole point of the aperitivo ritual is to whet your appetite, get a little, get a little snack with a friend, but not get tipsy or drunk. Right, which is why the Negroni's Bagliato really blows up in Milan. Although it doesn't really travel that much beyond beyond Milan, it kind of stays put in that city, especially in Barbasso, where it's invented allegedly by accident in the sixties, I think.
1: Right. Well, and now you can still go there and get a drink the size of your face, which we love. Well, it's I'm sure we've discussed this before. Yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. yeah. So you go to Barbasso and you get your Negroni's Bagliato, which is equal parts Campari and sweet vermouth, a little splash of Prosecco or dry sparkling wine. Um, And it's served to you in a uh, hand-blown goblet from Murano that you need two hands to pick up. And they have a giant cube of ice in the middle for displacement. So it looks like you're being served a gallon of Negroni's Bagliato, but it's actually, you know, just like kind of a regular portion. But it's really fun and delicious.
1: I love how you said it. it's actually just a, a disappointment in her <laughs> voice, a regular portion.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, so okay, so you so you've given us the kind of you know foundational slate of options, um, and then we have a rollback of enthusiasm surrounding cocktails. There are a handful of world wars and fascist regimes thrown in the middle there. There's a lot going on that uh, distracts people from being able to elaborate the kind of luxury culture that cocktails were part of at that time. And there's also a real lack of ingredients and uh, supply chain Availability or space in the supply chain in order to move said ingredients to people. And uh, for a while, there is sort of all quiet on the cocktail front, while Italians mostly move into or back toward beer and wine for their alcohol consumption, with the exception of uh, certain areas, particularly the Northeast, still indulging, particularly in aperitivo culture, but not so much in the way that we see now in these kind of boisterous buffet scenarios, but instead with a a simple uh, bitter, as you mentioned before, ranging from the Aperol adjacent products of this world to the Campari ones and beyond uh, with a little bit of ice and a handful of peanuts before dinner. And uh, it's not until... Uh, fairly recently that we see a combination of a a cycle that kind of feeds itself between Italians themselves being excited about cocktails and the climate within the uh, space of restoration being uh, moved toward experimenting more, bringing in more ingredients, creating more uh, exciting and more cultivated, curated spaces for the production of cocktails. And uh, and then, of course, both of those uh, in sort of inspiring each other and feeding each other. And although you have not been going out very much because, once again, you are surrounded by books and other piles of infinite amounts of work that you have agreed to probably when you are not in your right mind and perhaps under the influence of a cocktail, you still, I know, are uh, tracking what's happening in Rome. And you and I have had the absolute delight of experiencing some of these finer establishments that have grown up lately. Um, When it comes to what and how people are drinking now in Italy, what do you feel like is the kind of average person's relationship with cocktails? And uh, and let's think about that both in terms of, you know, the public space and the private. Where are they going out to and, and drinking and, and what's available there? And then what's happening in somebody, in an individual's home? Uh,
0: this really depends on where exactly you happen to be. Um, mm-hmm. If you're in Milan, which is still like a Campari town You're drinking a lot of cocktails that are made with that red bitter. You're drinking the classics, but then there's also this huge craft cocktail culture. There are lots of like speakeasies. You're drinking natural wine, you're drinking craft beer. Kind of same thing in Rome. You've got, you know, fancy hotel bars like the Stravinsky bar at the Hotel du Roussy. You've got places that are in the, you know, top 50 bars of the world, like uh, the court. You've got other spots like Drink Kong that are all churning out classic and creative cocktails. But uh, in more sort of traditional towns, Padova, Venice, people are still drinking really light, very sweet uh, aperitifs. But I think, you know, and definitely, you know, correct me where I'm wrong here, but it feels like in some other cities, there are very few realities. Like Naples has a handful of craft cocktail bars, Lecce's got a couple, Palermo's got a couple, where you can find a really great Uh, properly made drink from sought after ingredients. But for the most part, people are still drinking the kind of mainstream, uh, very sweet, uh, massive corporation owned beverages.
1: Yes, I definitely think that's true. I I would even add to that, uh, to your point that many people still might have the experience if you go outside of a major metropolitan area of uh, requesting something like a martini or something that feels like uh, a pretty simple standard and uh, being met with some confusion or at least disappointment on the other end um it is uh, to your point, very regionally specific and sometimes even hyper regionally specific. And it is also about the availability as uh, we might define it, of an audience willing to cultivate taste to it. So again, as I mentioned before, that there's a back and forth there. You need to have people who are interested in drinking in in this way and under the, uh, and and these kinds of ingredients and products, um, and the people who have experience with them to kind of create it. And and a, and there's some momentum there that will will create some success if uh, if both parties are kind of available in the market uh in the case of rome as you mentioned that's really easy in florence somewhat present but already somewhat more limited and uh a lot of it is related once again to the uh, influx of people from abroad and of uh, a a kind of uh, economic flexibility that may not be a reality for most places that don't have, once again, a lot of kind of foreign influence. Talking about the kind of higher end places that you've mentioned and many of which we've been to together and and we enjoy very much. um, We're uh, seeing also, I think, something exciting when it comes to the... People managing those programs, looking into what Italy can produce on its own and uh, without having to look to other other places, and also especially to these um, mega multinational companies that are producing industrial versions of of everything from. Uh, from the high-proof spirits like whiskey, uh, vodka, and gin to the uh, the bitters and other elements that are incorporated into cocktails. Um, even recently, I and uh, people who follow us on Instagram, hopefully most people listening do, Um, that even includes right now uh, agave-based spirits that Italians have started to uh, create using agave plants that grow naturally, especially in the south and the Italian islands um, from Sardinia, uh, Sicily, and Calabria up to uh, even further north. Um, Although the type of plant has to be able to produce enough sugar to distill. The other side of this, though, is what people are drinking at home. And that's something that I find to be super interesting, because I think this is also where you see the most specific regional realities and the kind of huge, significant differences between American expectations and Italian ones. Um, When you go to somebody's house in Italy, what do you expect them to have in their bar, if they have a bar at all.
0: Oh, I was just thinking like every single Italian person I know who has a bar has a Chivas Regal, Kahlua, and then a bottle of Gordon's.
1: Yes, that is so familiar to me. (laughs) Thank you for getting it all right. The Gordons, for sure, and definitely has never even been near a, a, chill, a any kind of chilling appliance or and, a piece of ice. God and forbid, like
0: half a yeah. bottle of Schweppes. Like mm-hmm. it's so it's so interesting in Italy. I'm like obsessed with mid century modern bars and stuff, and I, I have a few friends whose like parents have these beautiful bars built into their houses, and. They love cocktails, like they love making cocktails. I just don't know how they make any cocktails from the three things that they have <laughs> right. um and and then usually, like, I would say younger people, and this is really only in the past year or so, um canned cocktails that they might have like snagged at like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. one of the local gourmet shops or their favorite bars promoting them, or I think supermarkets are even are even selling canned cocktails now.
1: Yes, definitely. RTDs, re- ready to drink cocktails are probably gaining more traction in Italy than anywhere else. Although the US certainly consumes them as, as we do literally anything that contains booze. So, um, and when I say literally anything, I do use those words with intention. <laughs> um, I, I think that the uh, I, so I'll use a I'll use a story here to give my example of the experience I've had with people's um, home bars in Italy. I love you know that my cocktail of choice when I get home after a long day of recording episodes of Gola I uh, is I mix a martini um, typical three parts gin one part dry vermouth. I have a glass chilling. I have my classic cocktail shaker and my little swizzle stick, and I get myself a nice peel of lemon and toss all that together. And if I have a guest with me, I offer them the same. 100% of Italians who come to whatever residence I am occupying in Italy and see me do that and uh, see me preparing one for them uh, react with Uh, usually horror, I guess I would say, or at the very least surprise, then they all make some kind of comment about how it's so strong. And um, they comment that after having tasted it, as though there were a way for me to make gin more or less strong, right? (laughs) And this hmm. is this is something that i cannot uh manage to quite explain to them sure I could have uh made my I, rather than a you know classic balance uh go to a 50 50 and add a little bit more vermouth so that it's um you know it is technically slightly lower ABV but a martini at the end of the day is a martini so the issue is of course that they're not still familiar with spirit forward cocktails in really any context, but certainly at home, that is perceived as very unusual still, I would say. Do you you agree in terms of your continued experience at this point?
0: Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely. I mean, still like when I consume cocktails at friends' homes, it's like very fruit juice infused or uh, red bitter liqueur-based things are very light and fruity and super sweet. Or there's Kahlua I don't know why. Right,
1: <laughs> right. Or again, that Kahlua that keeps sneaking in, no matter how many I'm times. I'm like, are you guys we gonna to make? Toss
0: it? I was like, you're you're gonna make mind erasers, right? That's what this is for. Right. You're mixing mind <laughs> erasers. Feels I like can't. a a college bar in the '90s.
1: Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> Ugh, as someone who's now on the other side of that and I see my students stumbling in on Monday mornings after they've made some bad decisions, I can only rejoice in the fact that I remain increasingly distant from it with each passing day, month, and year and only get to drink some of the uh, fine rare spirits
0: that are hidden in my friends' houses, yours included. Oh, yeah. When people walk into my house, they're like, are you okay?
1: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly it's, it's uh, crazy like, they
0: they see the first bar and they're like whoa mm-hmm. what is happening and then they see the second stash and they're like oh my god and i'm like bro i don't have ice i don't drink any of this it's just here it doesn't go bad
1: <laughs> it doesn't go bad
0: <laughs> well
1: um i get it i get it triple because um well, I shouldn't say that. In, in Hanover, it's probably less scandalizing, although I do think that when I make the comment that uh, I don't have much wine, I, uh, I I start to garner some some real enemies because they turn around and look at the fact that I have a 300-bottle Yurokov standing on one side and cases stacked on the other side of the room for everyday drinking, and then I say to them, Oh, there's really nothing here for us to drink. And they become both confused and enraged. Um, <laughs> a different understanding of what's appropriate for drinking at what time in any case is really the point that we're getting to here. Well, it's fine. And- it's, our, it's our job. It's okay it's her job it's just i'm just a professional don't worry about it um but that you know i think kind of brings us to a nice natural place to wrap up here because that's uh, at, at the end of the day really the distinction right you and i at the individual level have very different expectations for ourselves and um for what we're Exp- what we're hoping to engage with because we're exploring this world all the time and we are very sensitive to what should be consumed when and how it affects us and how it appears to the people we offer it to and how it interacts with the other things we consume. And Italians have their own interpretation of that. But because the world of alcoholic beverage is wide and and complicated and in an exciting way, um, there are now all possibilities available to anyone on the Italian peninsula, especially if you're in a major metropolitan area. And the question is understanding when and how you might engage best with it. So, um, you know, there are beautiful, exciting, really uh, carefully curated bar programs in uh, in Rome, that you where you can enjoy a cocktail that is really, really excellent, com- would compete with the constructions you find in any major city in the world, and uh, has a price point that reflects that and an atmosphere surrounding it that similarly reflects that. And there are still the uh, kind of uh, easygoing student places that serve beer out of pretty dirty lines and without a lot of attention to the temperature, the glassware or the style or informing the drink or anything about it. And um, that's part of why we wanted to come back to what people were up to right now with cocktail culture, because it's one of the more dynamic areas of uh, Italian Uh, food and beverage or endogastronomic culture, not just in a historical view, but also particularly right now. And uh, I know for me that every time I get back to Italy, um, and especially when I land in Rome and we're going to meet up, I'm really looking forward to seeing what has opened, what's happening and um, what people are doing in response to that, that really experimental space. And, uh, and of course I'm always looking forward to a toast with you, Katie, but, um, why don't we give people a handful of places that we like to drink when we're together in Rome? You mentioned the court, which is a, a beautiful bar with excellent drinks, uh, certainly not inexpensive ones, but the last time we were there, um, it might've been just this time last year. And as I recall, you were paying. So I really have to, um, try to get that on repeat.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> where else? Uh, where else do we go to drink? And, and what's on the horizon, if anything, that you're thinking of?
0: Uh, I go to drink Kong a lot. I like that place mm-hmm. um, in Venice, Mercante. That's a mm-hmm. spot. That's all I got, honestly. I'm, I'm not a social person anymore. <laughs> I don't know what's cool. You're gonna name a bunch Holy. of places and I'm gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that place." But like right now, I can't think of anything.
1: Well, we both go to... Oh, I got one more. Yeah. Lata. Go, go, go. Lata. Oh, good one. Yes. Yes. Um, we both go there. We both go to Drink Kong. We, there are a, a handful of other places that have actually opened involving some of the people who are uh, owners or operators of those projects that are... Uh, hopefully equally exciting right now. I go to Freni e Frizioni a lot. They um, also just opened another larger spot in Prati, near where you are, For that's featuring specifically uh, batched cocktails on tap. So speaking of uh, trends that are up and coming and expanding, um, Florence has places like Locale, that are uh, high-end and exciting and uh, certainly expensive, but excellent. Um, I think, as you pointed out, also some of the cities that have traditionally not, or or, uh, that have traditionally lagged behind Rome and Milan especially uh, for cocktails are now seeing some real development like Naples and Palermo and Catania uh, where I have had some really excellent experiences lately and uh, seen many, many places that are pointing up their use of Italian-only spirits and uh, ingredients. Places uh, like Manifatura, one of my other favorite bars in Florence. But uh, I hope that it will be one of the things that uh, people visiting Italy can look out for and continue to find in larger numbers and more spaces as uh, the community interested in drinking well and with attention continues to grow in Italy. And, uh, and to that point, Katie, after you have put in an even longer day than me at this point, because you're six hours ahead, I should leave you to have your drink, uh, for the evening to celebrate your ability to get through yet one more, <laughs> a very long day of touring and editing books and, and, and many many other things that we will re- leave unlisted here, um, but you know, speaking of when you kick off, what's the drink that you like to pour for yourself if you were to have a piece of ice in your freezer and bother to use one of the many beautiful products on your multiple bars?
0: I actually drink a ton of Negronis. It's actually not an acceptable way to start a night. That's what I do, though. Well,
1: I I would I would disagree with that, however. It is uh that that's true. I know that you are a great you have a very a very fine hand with a Negroni, also I would say I might like your Negroni better than almost anyone's, certainly uh in the privacy of an individual home, but that might include also many of the places I visit and pay a lot more money than I do at your house for one. The secret um, is more gin. <laughs> well, that could, you know, now that you say it. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's both have more gin in our lives today. You sooner than me before we sign off and tell our listeners to remember to follow us on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Caligari's cabinet. Katie, you are?
0: At Katie Parla. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share GOLA with your friends and follow us on the gram at GOLA underscore podcast. Is that it? You got it. Nailed it. You nailed it. Killing the game. (laughs) And uh, become a patron. Throw us some cash. We'll keep recording and uh, putting some Italian food and beverage knowledge in your ear holes. Please do. Alla prossima. Ciao.